Osiris. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. You're listening to The Show on the Road, a new podcast where I interview songwriters, band leaders, and musicians from around the world. My name is Zach Lubitin. This week on the show, an Australian singer-songwriter who came almost 8,000 miles to talk to me, Jordy Lane. Together with his Aussie producing and harmonizing partner Claire Reynolds, Jordy has been making dark-hearted, voluptuously verbose folk music with a grinning rock and roll spirit for nearly a decade. And while he may just be making a name for himself here in the States, he's been playing huge venues all over Australia for years as one of Melbourne's most respected and beloved roots artists, touring with folks like the Moody Blues, Old Crow Medicine Show, Nico Case, and many more. I, for one, have been a big fan since I reviewed a show of his nearly seven years ago here in L.A., and I was able to talk with him and Claire in a strange backyard tiki hut in Pasadena. Yeah, you may hear some birds and trucks and kids rolling by. It's because we're outside in the elements. You'll see Jordy and Claire have that sweet symbiotic rapport that can only come from finding your musical soulmate, if you will. She's kind of his not-so-secret weapon, and you can really hear it on his newest gorgeously echoey masterpiece, Glass of Land, which she produced here in L.A. While Jordy may be an Australian kid to the core, the son of a well-known comedian mom and a traveling clown for a dad, it was the mysterious allure of American music and our bone-deep confidence to be unique and bold and brash and weird that keeps drawing him here, first to L.A. and now to his new home in Nashville. If you have a few hours, please dive into his earlier records, too. Start with Blood Thinner from 2011. It still chills my spine whenever I put it on. And tell your American Migos to give this Aussie kid a shot. You won't regret it. Okay, without further ado, let's hear from Jordy Lane and Claire Reynolds. Tell me where we are right now. We are in... Pasadena. <laughs> and where is it? Magnolia Avenue. But like physically, we're in the kind of a little tiki garage hut. Yes, we're in a tiki garage Oh yeah, I thought we were doing hut. like an audio test on S's and P's. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a tiki hut, isn't it? It is. Some sort of shed. And it's got magical things in it and good things happen in this place. Skies are blue, as they always are in Los Angeles. There's a painting of a of a unicorn and there's, yes. a, there's a strange gun behind you. There is <laughs> a hope, gun. Which I hope doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't. We've tried it. <laughs> <laughs> we don't, a unicorn. I'm, I'm like, that doesn't look Just like a it. unicorn. We don't really do guns in California. No, I know. That's, that's a mobster either. with a holy Bible and, and a man captive behind bars. As you can probably tell, uh, these are not Americans we're talking to. (laughs) What? They have beautiful Australian accents. Uh, Why don't you introduce yourselves to our radio audience? Yeah, uh, my name's Geordie, Geordie Lane. I'm Claire Reynolds. And we are songwriters and uh, singers from Australia, now spending most of our time in America. Yeah. Do you enjoy it here? We love it. We do love it. Yeah. Yeah. This whole country is incredible. Um, the landscapes just change amazingly. We've got to drive over the country a few times and, yeah, it's amazing. And your people are the best. 
It's funny when people refer to your people as Americans. It feels like I don't even feel affiliated with people from like the east side of Los Angeles. You know, we're so regionalized and like like tribal at times here. Yep. No, when we when you come from anywhere further away, you completely generalize everything. Um, Well, I will say like every state is a different country. It does feel quite different. Yeah. Yeah amazing well you have the the new record glassell land mm-hmm. um glassell park being a little borough of los angeles mm-hmm. amazing filipino food which you somehow didn't discover yet no. um, i don't know how we did we it's i don't crazy. think we ate the whole time yeah. we, were, we had a smoothie maker today and get some but one of my favorite tracks on the new record is america make my dreams come true mm. with its sort of Mm. Under it's like a little backhanded compliment at times. Well, know? yeah, because the other bit of that title is "Won't you make my dreams come true?" with a question mark at the end. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there. I, I particularly like the line. Uh, There's more guns than humans, right? <laughs> yeah, I I don't know if I got that statistic completely correct. I think it's not like New Zealand with sheep. Yeah, no, might, no. There's way actually you... maybe right. It, it may <laughs> be off. Let's do a, a Google search. Ooh. Might be off by a couple of million. There are there are a lot. There, yeah. We did Google it. I feel like it was. Washington Post says there are more guns than people in the United States, according to a new study of global firearm ownership. Great. Yes, we've got that well one done. right. <laughs> but you guys in Australia had a mass shooting in the '90s, yeah, and then actually had real reform happen. Literally within a week. How did that. it happen there and not? And why can't it happen here? Well, like that's the question we ask ourselves. But when we bring that topic up, people say, you know, you can't, don't be so naive. You know, Australia, it's easy to happen. You know, but you, it feels you don't like have... Australia has a similar isolated frontier mm. type situation like the States, maybe definitely, in a smaller context. But definitely, I, I think. We don't have the overall love affair with the idea of being able to own a gun. Uh, it's it's more farmers, pretty much farmers. There's not as much of a hunting culture culture yeah. in Australia either. So it was a little easier to give up. But I think per capita, we we had a lot of guns um, that needed to be handed in voluntarily was there a buyback program there yeah, was yeah. so people got a healthy amount of money for handing their gun in and uh yeah they put them all in a big pile and literally <laughs> crushed them yeah nobody thought twice about it really and and that pretty much crushed the idea of i mean of course there's still a small amount of guns on the black market there in australia which there would be here too um, even if there was a buyback program. Um, but I still hope and I think it's possible to happen here. Mm. Although it feels, it, it does feel harder as a, uh, a foreign... Things happen in the States that seem super hard and then all of a sudden it becomes normalized yeah. and then it's not hard. The civil yeah. rights movement, the, the gay marriage situation, yeah. marijuana is probably going to be legal within <clears throat> the next you know, 10 years, I would hope. Yeah. And that... 10 years ago seemed impossible mm-hmm. you know it just like takes enough people saying say no. this is what is normal yeah. now yeah okay this is not okay yep. yeah and i mean some same... reason guns that doesn't happen yet yeah i think it'll always be a, a tough thing but uh it's it, at least it's a issue right at the kind of forefront that more people are not afraid to talk about as americans 
I'm still a little bit afraid to talk about it yeah. as an Australian because it feels a little bit like, oh, yeah, you just come in here and, yeah, you fix things in your country, but you don't know what's going on but here. But you've been so, coming in and out of here for many years. I mean, I saw you yeah. in L.A. probably close to 10 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, both Claire and I have a love affair with America that, you know, I first came almost 10 years ago, 2010. And and then it's been, yeah, off and on for the last eight, nine years. And I love it. Can't get enough of it. So that yeah. song, what what does the American dream as an outsider coming in look like to you? Yeah. Uh, well, I think Australians are similar to people in a lot of other countries. We grow up with like a lot of American media and this fantastical idea that it is the place where you can dream anything and you can dream as big as you want and anything's possible because in Australia, those kind of things are squashed by uh, tall poppy syndrome, which, you know... The what it, syndrome? It, tall poppies. Um, don't ask me the exact <laughs> history of... Explain. So basically the idea is that when they get too tall, you've got to cut them down. And so that's what we do as fellow Australian citizens to make sure our friends and family don't mm. become too full of themselves mm. and big-headed yes. and um It happened yesterday at immigration. I went through and I, we're both on extraordinary ability visas. They're called O-1, we're extraordinary aliens, and that's what uh, Americans call us. And he's like, oh, so you're on, o, on O-1, so you, um, you're extraordinary, are you? And I was like... That's what they tell me. And he's like, you don't believe it? And I was like, I'm Australian. I, I'm bred not to believe it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a humbleness, I find, of other nations. And I always remember that study they did of, of the United States where they found that in all the abilities of a lot of the school-age kids, they're you know, way behind in math. They're you know, not as good at, at a lot of cognitive reasoning stuff, mm-hmm. but they're number one in the world in self-confidence. Oh, yes. yes. But that's one of the things we love about Americans. That's, and that's one of the things we came here to learn for ourselves because the lack of self-esteem uh, is <laughs> pretty common in Australia, and I grew up in a family where... Where does where, that come from? Um, I, it probably comes from the British convict thing. You know, mm. we all got sent over for stealing a piece of bread and and then you know we've we've got to just play it cool and uh yeah not get too cocky and um has your family been in australia for a long time um several several generations like yeah as far as as far back as i know you know i don't know any relatives who were born outside of australia so um but it's definitely a british heritage and Scottish, you know, dark and gloomy. And, and so it's a little more pessimistic uh, view on things. But back to your original question, uh, we definitely came to America. Like the song, uh, yeah, there is some sarcasm and stuff in there, but it really was because we love American music and the traditions of it and we wanted to come and kind of live and breathe it and walk down the streets that you're singing about and meet some of the people who made this music um and so that's what we came here to do and i guess yeah because in australia you can only go so far and then people cut you down <laughs> <laughs> <It's true>. so um <laughs> what, about, what about your family 
My family. Uh, like uh, in line, bloodline or? Yeah, like we're well, in, I'm, been in Australia for a long time. No, my um, grandmother and grandfather were both Greek. So, mm. uh, yeah, they came over from Greece. And so my Australian heritage is much shorter. On my dad's side, it's longer. But, um, yeah, I've got a lot of Greek in me. <laughs> Can you just read the lyrics to the chorus of that song? Yeah. Um, of the chorus. Okay. No, I don't actually context. have them in front of me, do it. Uh, <laughs> it's like the alphabet. You've got to start right at the beginning. You can just hum it. Yeah. <clears throat> um, America, won't you make my dreams come true? America, won't you make it all come true? Give me the first verse. Okay. Like red, pretend it's slam poetry. <laughs> um, red is the color of your heart, is the color of my skin, is the color of your window pane that you've been feeling every morning. Now you can't stop yawning. Oxygen to your brain. Like Do you think li- I have a future in Don't you feel in, like lyrics should, be, should yes. be appreciated as poetry more often? I agree. I totally agree. Uh, we never actually hear our own lyrics yeah, spoken. It was actually right? really nice. It's kind of cool. Continue. It's actually the second verse. Uh, well, that's actually sung by Claire. No, no, Blue first. Oh. I'm not going to be able to speak mine. I'll have to sing it. <laughs> blue is the colour of the sea, is the colour of your fingernails digging in my back. We're singing like we're on a cruise ship coming from down under. There you go. Or should we're I say, there you go. <laughs> we're on track to America. America. Yeah. I always want to know this question, and I never get a full real answer. Why do people from other countries who have accents not sing with those accents? Because your accent goes away when you sing. It's yeah. Why? Uh it's actually hard to sing with an Australian accent. Well, I don't I think find. it's I don't think it's hard to but when you're looking towards music like the music that I've idolized comes from America or England which uh, interestingly enough that ha- the same thing yeah, happens. Like the Rolling Stones aren't singing with a British accent. Well, yeah. cuz they they were dreaming of coming to America yeah. and well, no, I, d- I absolutely agree that rounding your R's is easier for singing. Hmm. So, because uh, I, I don't think, I think there's a universal way of singing and it, it does round your R's, which is what Americans do. So I don't know if we're singing with American accents, but we're... Around. I can't remember. Well, we don't use R's at all, basically. Yeah. Australians. We're just, ah. Yeah. <laughs> It's hard to, yeah, the rhyming schemes and, uh, uh, (laughs) I don't know. Why did you feel like... I think we close up when you ask this question because it's the same thing my grandpa argued because he worries about, like, his patriotic nature of being an Australian and not wanting to be an American. It's confronting that, that we're sounding more American when we sing. And when I try to say to him, you know, it is a universal language that a lot of it was invented in America. So, what was the music your grandpa was into? Um, I don't know. Whatever they listened to in dental surgeries. Um, <laughs> he was a dentist, right? Yeah, he ran a dentistry for like forty <laughs> years. So, 
Okay. Uh, just something through super a, zen. Something mm. through a crappy little speaker in a elevator. <laughs> yeah. That's a good question. I I never asked him. You guys have free healthcare in Australia? Yes. We do. Lucky ducks. Yeah. Completely. Um, you sure you want to come visit at last? <laughs> <laughs> We're We've on got travel tra- insurance. We've got travel right insurance. Now. Yep. <laughs> Why did you come all the way over here to make this record? Don't you have studios mm-hmm. 4,000 miles away? I think, you know, I grew up in the one place, Thornbury, which is like northern suburbs of Melbourne, and, you know, on and off staying with my parents, like pretty much living with them my whole life. And, uh, always finding myself back there. So I was feeling like I, I hadn't really grown up, hadn't left the nest. And so I really just had to get out of the whole country to um, feel like I was progressing or evolving forward in my own life. And I always just feel really excited in America. I feel mm-hmm. inspired. I have better bowel movements. I. It's true. Important. Like it's I'm really not true. saying that as a joke. People it just, sometimes have the opposite when they're traveling. I know. How long is the flight from Melbourne to LA? 13 hours, 50 minutes or something. Uh, and yeah, I'm just as regular as... <laughs> a, well, I'm glad, I'm glad we have that on tape, you know. <laughs> but maybe uh, that's because in Australia, I, I you know... I clench up a little bit? I, no, I, sl- I sleep in so much. Uh, and then when we get here with the time zone change, I'm just perfectly in order. Mm. Um, but that kind of, you know, people talk about gut health, you know, affecting everything in your life. And uh, <laughs> now we're going into a health talk. No, I mean, I, I just feel better here. Um, Let's go back into that <laughs> America self-confidence boost, maybe that Ooh. is sort of a thing. There's a, uh, the first track on the new record, Symmetry, has this oh, line yeah. I love called uh, where you're like, I don't trust myself on days like these. Tell me about that line. Well... That song, that was, I was going through, you know, it's cliche, but uh, going through major kind of writer's block or uh, lack of self-confidence in the feeling of can I even write a song? And, you know, it's sort of, it, it built over many years of like huge amount of touring. I was just on the road so many days of the year and addicted to that rush of going to a new town and just the logistics of like having to get on a plane or in a car and go and do the show and and having an audience to um give you that feedback and that energy i'm doing okay yeah people are clapping and that became a sort of method of of going away from not actually writing songs and and then one day I sort of woke up and thought, oh, I've got to write some new songs and we need to make a new album. And so then I went out and spent heaps of money buying recording gear. And then that just sat in the box, just terrified to open the box. Like, oh, what if I don't know how to use the recording gear and make my voice sound good? And then finally, I don't know, just after like a couple of weeks of sitting in this bungalow in Glassell Park, just really delving into feeling terrible about myself and Claire was out she was songwriting and producing with people every day you know she'd leave the house 10am and do a full day of songwriting and come back with these fully made amazing tracks and I'd just be starting to make a cup of coffee and finally after two weeks of just really feeling like crap I think it was actually longer 
okay, yeah. two months, <laughs> two months, and I was terrified, you know, just crying. I don't know, like really. Yeah, it wasn't. That it wasn't song good. finally came out, and and it was about that feeling uneasy and trying to have everything in order and everything in a straight line, you know, including like making, trying to make the bed. Are you trying a perfectionist? To, I think so, but I think it's also just a means of procrastination. You know, if it's not perfect, then it it shouldn't, yeah, it's not done and it shouldn't exist. So it's basically just a form of of never signing off. But yeah, that song was terrifying and then terrifyingly rewarding when I finally, Claire got home and I sung it to her. And I just bawled my eyes. I was like waiting. Every day I'd come home and I'm like, Come on, he just needs to start. Like, because the way we write Geordie's music for him is he starts and then I'll come in and, and help finish. Or, and some of the songs we started together, but most we, he begins them. And, and it was so important for him to begin this album in that way. And when he sung me that song, I mean, it's actually only half the song on the recording, but it's. Yeah, it's kind it of was, like almost like a prelude of the record, right? Yeah, it was the beginning of everything. Then everything just sort of started to roll, and uh, yeah, it was an important day. Tell yeah. me, tell me a little more <clears throat> about how those songs get made. So you start with chords or, or words or both? Yeah, sometimes it's like just a concept. Like I want to tell a story about this. How can I do it? And then. Claire and I might both be together and, and, and start doing that. But most of the time, it's uh, with a guitar, usually somebody else's guitar. If there's someone else's guitar lying around that I'm not as precious about, you know, because half the time when I'm writing a song on my own guitar, I'm like, man, the intonation's really out there on the fifth fret of B string. I've got to get a perfectionist. I've got to get that, I gotta get that fixed. And then it's like, how can I write a song? This guitar's out of tune. <laughs> This is not good enough. Uh, <laughs> but when, you know, it's the same. If someone else says, hey, you want this shirt? And I wear it and I, I, I feel good about it because I'm not putting as much pressure on it. It's, um, yeah, somehow take myself out of myself anyway. Which is how we recorded a lot of the time. Like with Geordie, he Pretend to be up, someone else. Um, when he does vocals. So we would like start by I'd be like sing the song Neil Diamond Neil Young style <laughs> or Neil Diamond yeah. in fact or Willie Nelson or and so he would do many takes of different people and then I'd be like now do it Geordie Lane and then he would do it and but by that stage he would be so like loosened up and relaxed um, the uh, the song uh, Out of State I was a big fan of yeah it kind of sounds like there's almost Tibetan singing bowls at the end. Like, like you ever been in a sound bath? Yes. Yes. We went to the one in Joshua Tree. The, the Integratron. Integratron. Yeah. Were you inspired by that in that song, or was that totally unrelated? So, like, yeah, some of the production of, of that song came off the back of an earlier record I made out in Joshua Tree um, called Blood Thinner, and that was in a, a motel room that I'd recorded most of the records so it was whatever I had like acoustic guitar I didn't have a keyboard at the time but I wanted some kind of drone sound so I found some wine glasses and uh played the rim of the wine glasses to create all right so similar situation um 
I think on out of state though, we're actually using uh, some sort of synth. Yeah, I think on that, that in the end. Uh, and then that's just sort of opening and closing a filter. Um, but it, it definitely came from that period of, of trying to get this kind of droney, trancey sort of feel. Yeah. 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 And the, the idea of everybody thinks you're doing fine. Yeah. Right. And that you're putting on sort of this strong face for people. Yeah. You know, I think as a performer, a lot of times you have to go up there with a certain uh, other personality. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To really, you know, like you said, sing like Neil Young. Yep. You know, get up there, pretend you're not you, then maybe you yeah. can be you. Because sometimes being you is the hardest thing, right? Too much, yeah. I think so. And, yeah, in some respect, being a musician is like being an actor. Um, but you are trying to get to the heart of of you so that people listening can get to the heart of, get to themselves, like actually feel something. And, uh, yeah, that's, I guess that's just often the most terrifying thing to do to actually feel something. Um, and yeah, that line was probably written on like just going out on too many benders, drinking, you know, saying I'm partying, I'm having a great time. Um, but yeah, it was all just avoiding again. When you're, when you're on tour, what is your worst habit? My worst habit. Mine is probably watching Law and Order SVU till three a.m. Oh, yes, wow. we definitely I love do that. that idea. If it's if if that's available at <laughs> yeah. the motel, SVU. It's like you don't need to watch the next episode, yeah. but then it starts. That music automatically. begins, and you're like, oh, just one more. I think probably my worst habit is um, if SVU's not on, um, settling for NCIS. Ooh. <laughs> I was going to ask that you is, what your guilty pleasure was, but it's just uh, two is, birds with two one stone. One. We, were, we were watching that the other night. And it was then the Los Angeles one. You're too, looking that it? up and oh. they're like, this is the most watched television show in the world. I'm like, gosh. I yeah. think it's because there's so many. There's Los Angeles, there's Las Vegas, there's New Orleans. Yeah. I think my, uh, my wife is an actor in town here and they keep bringing her out She's to audition for no she wants oh. to be yeah. they'll they'll audition her for like crying woman in bathroom oh. <laughs> we were just talking about this i want to have an awards for all extras that are like the crying woman in bath like when do they get awarded like maybe they did a great performance and nobody recognizes them because i was picturing like when you're in that role and you're i keep whenever i see an extra like that i'm like and they're like dead corpse on in morgue. I'm like, I reckon there's a party going on where all the friends like, and family come are come me and watch in me this episode be a of SVU. Yeah, I just love that idea. <laughs> Can you imagine the cheers of the friends in the living room? They're like, Yeah, there he is, yeah, dead. You're dead. There's that classic <laughs> film, The Big Chill, where oh, yeah. uh, about the movie. group of friends, and I think it's Kevin Costner plays the dead friend, oh, but they yeah. cut. The scenes, I think, when he was alive. So he's just in it as a dead person for like five minutes. (laughs) Hey. That's that's awesome. A scene is a scene, I think. (laughs) If you could describe the other person as a movie that exists, how would you you describe them? Wow. Never had that question. That's an amazing question. 
gee, can you give us 30 minutes and we'll come back to it? Geordie's <laughs> we'll, we'll movie is definitely oh. complex. It's probably like um, Eternal Sunshine, what's that one? Oh, the Spotless Mind. Spotless Mind or The Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's like so much complexity to Geordie's movie. And it's so entertaining and brilliant at the same time. But it takes some time to understand. Yeah, mm-hmm. like you might need to like watch it a few times and like you'll you'll see different things every time. That's Geordie's movie. I'm I'm flattered. Love both of those movies. <laughs> uh, and then you would have to be a, a rom com. Yeah. Although like I'm probably influenced <laughs> because I know how much you love, love rom coms. Um <laughs> I don't know, maybe like when Harry met Sally. Or, oh, um, yes. <laughs> I'll be Meg Ryan right now. <laughs> I'll what she's having. <laughs> yeah. I have to ask you this question, and I've been meaning to ask on a couple episodes, and I keep forgetting. So we did this uh, radio show in Michigan at the college in Michigan State, and this young student interviewer it was her first time she'd ever interviewed someone and she had asked some normal questions and then mm. all of a sudden she was like if you had to eat a wooden door how would you do it and we were wow. like what but it was like so i told her i was cool. like one day i'm gonna ask that same question because it's so weird but also like for me i was like okay i think maybe i'll I would shave oh, some yeah. of the wood off and like stew it maybe with oh, some spices. Yeah. We I need to soften that I've already, thing up. I've already thought. Okay, what do you got? Um, well, I saw, you know, those infomercials, those type of graters that can create um, spaghetti-like mm-hmm. shavings. Right. Um, yeah, I, I could see now turning that wooden door into big, long spaghetti or uh, fettuccine. Um and then just cook that up like normal pasta and hopefully have some basil in the backyard that could make a pesto out of, a bit of garlic, um, get that going in the pan. And then... Jordy's a very good cook, if you hadn't noticed from um, this talk. Uh, if, if you're eating meat, it's just some crispy little bits of meat in there. So well, then maybe you could... Or does it just have to be the door on its own? But you could, you could fry up the door, like tiny bits of the door, and that become the meat. Like. Ooh. Kind of like a tofu. Like a tofu. Yeah. yeah. Like maybe some spice on the, on the like, yeah. Oh, crispy tofu with um, like uh, spicy salt and mm. like a sort of Vietnamese style. Mm-hmm. <laughs> delicious. I this mean, is a great it question. Could, could be delicious. Unfortunately, <laughs> this room doesn't have a door. But it does have a lot of wood. We could really knock <laughs> this thing up. <laughs> we could feed a town. <laughs> Stone soup, you know, when people used to make that. So... How do you arrange your harmonies, which are so beautiful? Mm. Right. Mostly they just come. Is it by instinct? Yeah. I think, well, I think a lot of the time I try to force something that's more structured onto yeah. you. So I'm like, oh, no, can, can you sing the third on this bit and then, and then jump I to the fifth, fifth on that? And you're like... <laughs> Just let me do what I do, and then if it doesn't come. work, I'll do it. Because yeah, I've I've got the idea of structure in my mind. Whereas Claire is more about letting um, something unknown happen, which then can become the structured idea. And so I 
always do need to learn about that. But yeah, so it's definitely just... It's a push and pull of both. So yeah, I try and be free and then if it doesn't work, I'll I'll try Geordie's third <laughs> or go to the fifth. <laughs> so it's a combo. And I love singing with I love singing with Geordie's voice. So for me, I don't need to think too much. I can just uh, follow follow that. And so most of the time it, it works because of that. I can I my yeah. So I guess that is a heart motion that I'm trusting in. How did you guys meet? I was running a in the round song night in Brisbane in Australia about oh in 2011. Yeah. And Geordie was coming through town and we had friends of friends that knew each other. And um, so we booked him to come and play and that was the first time I'd ever met him or heard him sing. And, yeah, that's the day we met. Yeah, and it was the best thing. I hadn't done many in-the-round kind of things, which at that time the term in-the-round, most people in Australia didn't even know what was happening. It's become a lot more common now. Yeah, now that we've spent a lot of time in North America, it's like half of what you do at festivals. Right. Um, or I guess I call them workshops in Canada maybe. But uh, And that's why I started it because I was going to Nashville and, and going to these nights and seeing it happen and then coming home and wanting to collaborate with people. And in Australia particularly at that time it's much better now, but it's still not that great about collaboration and pe- and I'd be like, let's write a song. And they'd be like, ah, I'm cool. I can write on my own. I'm like, I know you can write on your own, but we could write something together. And so I just had such a craving to get people together and and get people playing together. And mm. that's how it began. So it was really American-inspired thought. And, yeah, we yeah started writing a couple of songs together just, just for the hell of it um, up there and... And then I asked Claire to play keys on one of my tours um, at some festivals. And then we discovered it worked really well. Like the harmonising thing, uh, something about how Claire can lock into a vibrato, however fast or slow I'm doing it, and and kind of sink in with those, those ups and downs of the sound. And, uh, yeah, that's... I think that's what we do that kind of gets people because we sort of start to become part of one thing when we're singing mm. together. Yeah. Well, there is kind of a celestial molecular thing when like voices really mm. do thread really together, you yeah. know? If you could sing or collaborate with an artist dead or alive, mm. who would it be? Well, I've I've already talked to Claire about yeah. this, and she's like, <clears throat> "Excuse me, fine, just kick me out, why don't you?" I'm saying so, that both of you can um, collaborate with them. Yeah. Well, no, oh, like I would love to be there too. One person <laughs> one. I've always wanted to, yeah, have the experience of uh, singing with or doing a duet is Emmy Lou Harris, mm-hmm. um, and. Yeah, I think we could do it as yeah. the three of us. Oh, I'd be magical. Emmy Lou, if you're out there, <laughs> call us. Um, <laughs> yeah, that would be special. Yeah, we'd like that. What about you? It would yeah. have to be Carol King, 100%. Mm. She's my favourite. Yeah. You see the musical? I have not seen it. We were going to see it in Melbourne and, and didn't get there, so it's one thing I've got to do. That'd be awesome. But she uh, is my main inspiration as mm. a songwriter. Yep. You remember the That's first record you bought on your own? Uh, yeah, uh, it was the 
single of the Macarena. <laughs> I thought it was the Spice Girls. Well, that was the first single I bought in collaboration with my best friend. It was $5. We only had $2.50 each. Because, um, yeah, records are more expensive in Australia. Even back then in the 90s, it was $5 for the Spice Girls wannabe. So it was between wannabe and the Macarena. I was always, I, I liked, you know, the cutting edge pop of the time. <laughs> I think mine was Led Zeppelin. I was obsessed. Oh, all right. Yeah, no, I... she was already cool. <laughs> um, uh, then I then I got into pop. I well, I totally went there. I'm still there in some ways. I, <laughs> I liked sweets. a bit of rock rap. Uh, I I loved yeah, getting did. into um, well, Rage Against the Machine. That was my big big thing. Um, and then what was that other band? The... Did you rebel against your parents when you were young? Not so much. No, I just uh, cowered in fear when I got home, you know, past the curfew. I completely, I was like, you know, mummy and daddy's boy. I was, they weren't very strict. Uh, you know, every now and then when it started getting out of control, you know, when we're still at school, you know, be like, you've got to be home by 3 a.m. <laughs> and I'm like, Yes. Yes, I will. And then it's out there on the streets with friends drinking and being silly and, you know, gets to 4 a.m. and then I arrive home and, yeah, they were there, stern chat. Um, and, yeah, I would feel awful about myself and try and redeem myself. So, yeah, but, no, my parents are both performers and sort of not musicians but uh, in that world and so I sort of always felt like following music as a passion was they were like yeah all right do what you want but you know how tough it is to earn a living but all right so I always had that acceptance from them I guess and all of my other friends were like you know had to hide the fact that they were into music so yeah I mean my parents were very supportive of me but they are not musical at all, and I I don't know where it came from, and um, and I was an I was actually an opera singer, and they were they were totally into that. So when I went to the conservatorium, and then halfway through that, I I did graduate, but I was starting to write songs, and they were still supportive, but they were like not quite as keen that I didn't want to be in the classical world. Well, and you said your teachers at the school were not oh, into actually, crossing genres. They actually, they spoke to me so many times about you can't, like you can't talk to the jazz department, you can't be in music theatre, you have to only, you can't write songs. And I was like, I'm going to do whatever I want. Why not? You, as soon as you tell me I can't do so, I'm going to do it. And then they actually at one point asked me to leave. Oh. And I said no. So I continued. <laughs> um, but they made my life hell. I, I, yeah, I went through quite some traumatic experience there. Who are you listening to right now that's inspiring you? Yeah, besides Neil I, Diamond, you know. Of course. It's... I thought you might ask this question, so I prepare, tried to prepare, and I couldn't come up with anything. I, <laughs> I don't listen I, to music personally. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know that that's not very inspiring for you or anyone out there to hear, but I don't listen to music that much. Uh, are you listening I, to podcasts? I'm listening to, Ooh, yeah, a lot of podcasts. podcasts. I've listened to you <laughs> most recently. Uh, I'm, I always listen to my morning NPR up first 
even when I'm in Australia, it's, you know, it's a day behind, but, um, love a bit of that. Um, yeah, the New York times, the daily is always like, what do you want to be depressed about today? <laughs> How about I can't, uh, I can't. raids on a Nigerian village or maybe <laughs> a so Wall depressed. Street collapsing? Or, <laughs> like Michael Babar is always like the most concerned person in the world. He's just like, so what What? What should we do now? Oh. <laughs> no, the, the Up First edition is just 12 minutes of just uh, keeping up to speed with the White House or what, what, um, what Trump's done today. So... Um, yeah, I find that uh, soothing when I'm having a shower. <laughs> you do. You're always listening to it. I have to, like, tune out because I'm like, I don't want to know. <laughs> the song uh, Get Lost in You, which I really loved from that uh, Not Built to Last record, um, feels like it talks about almost like falling in love or, or, mm-hmm. or uh, staying awake too long and, like, you go into this new dimension mm-hmm. or something when you yeah. are in this first blush of love. Yeah. Do you feel like that's kind of what happens when you write a new song that you fall in love with? Definitely. Yeah, because usually, for me anyway, writing a song usually happens in those wee hours of the morning when everyone else is asleep and I'm starting to go into a delirious, delusional state and I, I am aware that it's happening and I love it. I absolutely Do love it. Do you ever it. have dreams where you wake up and have to write down stuff? Not as much as I would like. I, I think I've only once or twice like come out with a full melody or actual full verse of a lyric from a dream. Um, I would love to tap into that more. I'm sure there's stuff going on. But, I but hardly j- ever do, but I did this morning. I woke up with lyrics in my brain. What do you brain. got? What do you oh, got? Oh, no, I've, it's gone. <laughs> but I remember like, i gotta, I got to write it down, and then it was gone. So and maybe it'll come back. I believe good ideas come back, so I'm hoping for that. Yeah, they do keep sort of following you. Um, but, yeah, that, that Lost in You song was first really inspired by running out of petrol uh, gas on the wrong side of town, like where... Sorry, now I'm quoting the actual lyric. Um, give me, all right, give me that first verse. <laughs> yeah, slam it, baby. Um, slam it. Or maybe it's the second verse. I broke down on the rich side of town. No choice but to sit and stew. I watched out my window at women in haste with $1,000 coats around their size four waists that were tripping over one another's shoes. I'd wear my soles thin, but I'd still be lost in you. Um, yep. And the anyway. bridge comes in. If somebody's tuning in right at that point, they'll be going, oh, who is this wanker? <laughs> <laughs> um, we don't really use that term enough in America. Yeah, we'd like to bring wanker. that in. Did it, I know a lot of people who are wankers oh, that we yeah. can apply it to. Okay. You know. Yeah. Good. What, what is the... Well, if we if this... If jer- someone in Australia... Like, jer- like a jerk? Like a jerk. Yeah. Asshole? Yeah. It would be exactly jerk yeah. because I imagine jerk comes from the act of the same thing that uh, wanking uh, refers to. Yeah, yeah but a, a good wank is a, is a nice thing. You I know. know. <laughs> it doesn't seem... It is healthy, I think. You know, it's not accepted in... We're coming back um, to the health topic here. <laughs> uh, what is the m- most you've ever stayed awake? Can you remember? Uh, yeah. I... One of the most was when I got a call um, from the agent for a Canadian band called The Week Events. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I didn't know them at the time, but someone said, my agent said, do you want to do a national tour with them in Australia? They've 
sought you out, they've found your music and they love it. Do you want to do this tour? And it was like huge venues and uh, I was so excited. I mean, at the time I was just like kind of business brain. I'm like, great, yep, that's a good fee. Um, get me around the country, uh, great. And then I just went into this manic state and it was probably, it was over 50 hours. Wow. Um, definitely, yeah, it was more than two days. Um, what were you doing in that time? Uh, I did a lot of like Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what it's I do in my spare thing. time. I love uh, doing <laughs> living dangerously. <laughs> rock and roll 101. Yeah, that's the modern day rock and roller. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do some accounting. Um, and that's what I actually did on the plane flight uh, over to the US. I, there's something I find really soothing in, in mathematics in that at least to my knowledge, there is one way for that equation to come out right. And you know when you've well, hopefully you know when you've done it wrong. If you're using an Excel spreadsheet correctly, you will know when you've done it wrong. And whereas writing a lyric or the way you sing a song, there's so many ways to do it right that you just think that every way could also be doing it wrong. So that comes back to that self-confidence thing. But So that's why I've always loved numbers because they just they seem a little less emotional to me. It gives me a little time out from getting too introspective. <laughs> what was the biggest rock star moment that you feel like you've had? Like when you got out there in front of the biggest crowd you've ever played to? Like how did that feel? Uh, just doing the job. I'm just trying to think what that Maybe moment Moody was. Blues? Well, is that the biggest? Or? <laughs> that was fun. Nights in white satin. So I did a tour. Yeah, I did a tour opening for the Moody Blues in Australia, and I, yeah, I think they were like five thousand seater um, audiences, and but I had a lot of restrictions put on me. The tour manager said to me, uh, the American crew with them, and he'd been their tour manager for a long time. He said. Now, Jordy, I just want you to know before you start this tour, he sounded pretty much like that. Um, I love when American accents happen from people who are not, not from America. I just want you to know, the Moody Blues, they never have an opener, okay? Never. You're the first opener. Do you know who the last band was to open for the Moody Blues? And I'm like, no, no, I don't. And he's like, that would have been a little band called... The Beatles. <laughs> so I, when you go out there tonight, I want you to remember that. And I'm like, whoa, what a great pep talk. <laughs> yeah, um, thanks for of. relaxing me. <laughs> go to my green room and I'm like. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, that, they were crazy. I had 12 minutes a night on wow, stage. that's it? No more, no less. Wait, not even, they couldn't do 15, like a nice round nope, number? Nope, I think How did they come up with that number? I think it was a mathematical equation. <laughs> four songs. That, right? It was a mathematical equation. Uh divided by how long they were on stage because in Australia and probably in most of the world, your royalty rights association at certain size venues, they all have to pay fees. You know, say it's ASCAP or in Australia, APRA, the size of the venue, they have to pay a fee determined by that. If it's a big tour, the band themselves has to pay that fee for their own songwriting. What? Um, or the, yeah. the promoter, the venue. Um and so, and then that fee gets returned to the songwriters of the songs that were played. And so 
this is my calculations anyway. So if I only have 12 minutes, that's less of the APRA fee that they had to pay back to me. And still 12 minutes worth was a very nice after like eight shows with them. I got a quite a large amount for playing those three. Oh, I played four songs at one and a half times speed. So, and then I had just enough time to tell the audience that I had silver and gold Sharpies to sign anything <laughs> they desired. Um, and that middle-aged crowd of, well, older age crowd of uh, British expats in Australia. Did loved, they embrace you? They loved it. They're like, oh yeah, you signed me arm. Thanks, mate. <laughs> um, I'm like, oh, maybe a CD. Would you like to buy one of them? Um, <laughs> if you had one more day to live... And you could pack one bag. Oh god! Wow. What would be in it? And a what, wooden what album? door. <laughs> and <laughs> what, so al- what album would be in it? Um, before, you, before you left to outer space. Yep. Now all I'm thinking of still is shaving <laughs> up a wooden door. Um, <laughs> my favorite oof. book would be in my bag, Modoc, which is about the greatest elephant that ever lived. Okay. Yeah. And my album of choice would be. Uh, probably a Bob Marley album. Not Tapestry? <laughs> um, it's already in my head. Okay. I don't need it. I don't need to hear it. All right, I, so yeah, if you're if you're escaping a disintegrating earth for yeah, it would outer space, be Bob you need like some... Oh, something some, joyful. Yeah, lifting your spirits yeah, as you yeah. leave. I'm still, I'm still stuck. I'm the guy who doesn't listen to music. Um, <laughs> oh, baby, do. <laughs> there's so many flowing around my head. Um... All right, what else would be in the, in the go bag? Uh, some avocados, lemons. Vegemite. Some toasted Turkish bread. Because when we travel, a lot of the time we have to split a bag in half. So is that, do we have one bag or do we get no, one you bag each? No, you each get oh one bag. Oh, my God, this is a luxury. Oh, we thinking of the imaginary line down the middle of a suitcase that we usually have. Um, but we'd both have Vegemite. Vegemite, yeah. for sure. What is Vegemite again? Oh, have we got some with us? Uh, on this trip. Oh, no. Didn't bring it. It's in storage. Uh, it is a yeast extract that kind of tastes like concentrated beef stock. <laughs> I'm not making you sick. <laughs> that and you, sounds and you, terrific. Oh, it's like a paste. And you spread yeah, it. Yeah, very lightly on. Americans so, tend to well, spread it like If you don't know how strong it is, yeah, you would overspread Strong yeah. like beefy, like like no, animal. No, 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 sorry. No, Beef no. is the wrong like word. Like salty. It's, it's salty. It's a very salty, uh, black, almost like dark brown coloured spread. That how did um, that become a thing down under? Probably from know. England because there's Promite and um, Marmite. Marmite. They're English. But basically, English. it works as this great salty tart tasting thing that you you put like. Uh, say four fifths of it is butter, and then just one fifth, tiny little pea of. Mm, uh, you spread dabs. that bit over the top, then a bit of avocado. It's amazing, because we've had some yeah friends over here have just awful times. Like if you yeah spread it like jelly or or peanut butter, you're gonna your mouth's gonna be on fire for a day. All right, so we're putting in some avocados, mm-hmm. some lemons, some Vegemite, a little Bob Marley. Mm-hmm. You're never coming back to Earth. You know, this is this is your last last. I mean, chance. I, I was going to say my laptop, but why would you? Because like you know, you can't. You'd need the power supply. You'd it's... need 
internet. And just throw that out. Like, um, I'd probably take that little guitar that I, I gave to the owner of this house that we're in. It's like a little... Um, Travel like, guitar? It, well, it's like a Sears catalog guitar from the 50s or something. Mm. Um, it's just awesome. Yeah, it's a small little parlor guitar. Yeah. I'd take the... Maybe a tennis ball to use to, like, get those knots out of your back. Mm. All right. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if we need a lot. If we're leaving and, like, there's there's a new... Clothing? I mean, sure. I like... I like a spare... A couple of pairs of undies. Yep. You know, a T-shirt. <laughs> this is riveting stuff. Uh, you're listening Cut. to the show on the road. <laughs> Sorry, man. No, this is... I, I keep thinking, like, if we had to, like, go right now. Because there, there's all this talk also about the big earthquake that's going to happen mm-hmm. in California. Mm-hmm. Yep. And my wife is increasingly like, why don't we have gallons of water? Oh, you know, yeah. or, or why don't we... We need to be prepared. Mm. Yeah. And where would we go, you mm. know, if we had to get Terrifying. out? You know? Yeah. And... You know, your family is, my family's back in the Midwest, her yeah, family's yeah. on the East Coast, and we don't really have a bunch of, you know, people outside the immediate area that we can mm, just go to, yeah. you know? I'd probably head out to Joshua Tree, but I'm, I know the San Andreas fault line, like, right through Yeah, it's the, probably that. the worst place you could go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my first thought would be, it, while we're in America, is my passport, but that's if we can even fly out of mm. the country. A good bottle of tequila. Yep. We love a tequila. Just to kind of, yeah, if we're going to sit there and die or whatever, yeah. It's sort of mezcal. Sort mm. of. I want to ask about one more song <laughs> because your songs, are, your songs are amazing. Uh, a Piece of Land, which is oh, off yeah. the new one, has this line about uh, losing your mind in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. And then you went home, slept with your ex, and she says... You've put on weight. Yeah. It's like exactly what your ex would say, just to kind of like... Stab you in the... Stab you. <laughs> Can you read me that verse? Uh, Can you slam me that verse? Yeah. Um, I'll do it in a thick Aussie accent. Great. Um, I blew in and out of Berlin. I drove out to the east. I lost my mind in Amsterdam. I was sure the sign read coffee. I woke in a pile of piss. The police were laughing in my face. So I went back home, slept with my ex. She said, boy, you've put on weight. <laughs> there's, something, there's something about that that reminds me of, like, the, the reason I think why a lot of maybe guys write songs is subconsciously to impress their ex Mm. (laughs) I think like it's like they gave up on us yeah but they're gonna regret it yeah because of this song totally it's one of my favorite lines to sing when we play it live is that line I it is it's fun because it might be really um upsetting if we were actually if we were singing about each other oh yeah that would be quite hurtful every night to <laughs> say you're fat you're fat you're fat um <laughs> i mean fat like cool you're fat oh ph, <laughs> you're fat. PH fat um 
yeah, I think that song was fun and important to write because that is all true. And like my mum, she's a comedian back home and she's tried to write novels, like dead set, I'm going to write a novel. And she goes, I, I can't think of, like I can't make something up. And then she goes back to what really happened and then that, of course you can... Uh, she's a comedian? Yeah. <laughs> very, very big one, yeah. So does she make fun of you on stage? She did, yeah. Probably, you know, first 20 years of my life, uh, myself, my sister and my dad, divide that by three. So, uh, get back to the mathematics, 33.33. It was even... So, even scorn. Split. Yep. Okay. Someone has the thirty-three point three four. I feel like your dad the split. gets maybe a little. That would dad. He'd be the point three four. Dad is definitely the one that she could freely, completely make fun of, and he just loves it. Loves it all. Well, he's a Think, clown. I don't know if you knew that. Thinks she's the funniest thing in the world. He's not like metaphorically a clown. He's... No, no, he truly. Yeah. Yes. That was how my parents met in traveling theater troupe, and uh. Yeah, my mum grew up knowing that she never, like, she hated clowns. And then <laughs> that's what she got together with. So, um, but yeah, we were totally fine with mum making fun of us because we knew very well that that was how we got food on the table. That was how we got a pair of Reeboks or something. Um, actually, we, I never got Reebok pumps. I just got some little... Suede. Thanks, version. Yeah. No, I did get a pair of Reeboks, but classy suede ones. Mm. So, so I was probably... But re really, I just wanted the pumps like everyone else. Do you remember had. a sp specific joke that was about you that like, uh, really got people laughing? Yeah. Uh, so... I that must know. take a certain thick skin when you're a kid, right? I. It was fine. It was just part of our life, like... The only thing that we got teased for at school was people teasing us for being rich. And that really upset me because I'm like, we are not <laughs> rich. We are and, and, and so I don't like people saying something that's not true. So that was the main thing. Kids got threatened by the fact that we had a famous mum, so we must be rich. So therefore, you know, we've got it easy. So um, What's your mum's name? Denise Scott. Uh, and yeah, she's on a bunch of television shows back in Australia and, uh, got a bunch of books out, which are all based on the truth. <laughs> anyway, just, just that idea of needing something truthful and honest, uh, to start your story from, um, because, you know, then say the mathematics of it can work out because if it really happened, then, uh, you don't have to keep lying your way out of it. Well, I think getting permission from your parents to be a performer and mm. to inhabit sort of different personas is yeah. pretty powerful, you know? Yeah, and it definitely we did take that for granted. My little sister rebelled against it. She did become an artist, a visual artist, said, vowed to never be a performer on stage, but just recently she has started working herself into her artworks in the physical space, being a performer as part of that artwork. So can't escape it in our family. And uh, yeah, I, I'm now aware and eternally grateful that, that I have had that upbringing 
Um, yeah. I want you to think of the first thing that comes to your mind when I say unicorns. Well, I say behind me. because <laughs> I say kindness is magic because I think magic and I'm looking at your hat. <laughs> so we're just we're just going on there's what's no, in the room. No, there's no wrong answer. <laughs> I right. thought you were referring to like a movie with unicorns in it. That that was their catchphrase. Kindness is magic. <laughs> I'm a unicorn. Puff the magic dragon. dragon. All right. When I say the I word, I think of pointy. Yeah. Horn. <laughs> when I say the word, sky. Right now. That's what I'm looking blue at. Blue sky. <laughs> yeah, we don't get to look at the blue sky when we do this podcast most This is pretty nice. Often. Isn't that a Wilco record? Sky blue sky. sky? Blue sky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what I was thinking of, that record. When Listening I say spiders. I think of the um, very poisonous uh, flesh-eating spider that bit me on my 18th birthday and then I still have a scar to really? this day on my leg, which I will now show you. Great for radio. I want you to imagine, folks, he's lifting up. His pants are too tight. (laughs) He has has skinny black jeans. And I have a very white leg. As good. very white. He's got purple socks. And wow, that's still from the spider? Yep. I mean, it looks like a a big bruise. Large red. And so that's right on the bone of my shin, which saved me from the venom spreading further out across my leg. Is it's it like a tarantula type spider? No, it's like a, a very small, unassuming spider with a little white tip on it. Uh, and it's called a white tip spider or white tail spider. And, it's a bit uh, like the brown recluse. A little like the brown recluse. Uh, it's flesh eating. And yeah, if you get it on a nice, big, healthy part of flesh, it can just look like someone's tipped acid onto wow. your skin. Were you out in the woods or something? Uh, I was out in the alleyway vomiting. Uh, <laughs> no, like how did the spider yeah, get on you? I was in the alleyway vomiting at my 18th birthday and uh, it was in, I fell in a wood heap and um, yeah. See, aren't you glad I asked that question? <laughs> yeah, a spider. What about your spider that, that's story? That's what I think of actually when I think of, I don't have a spider story. I actually really love spiders. I'm happy to pick them up. If anyone's got one in their house that needs to be taken outside safely. She's from Queensland. and I'm they, from very nature-surrounded The st- place, statistics yeah. are that there's potentially nine... Six. Six, six snakes. snakes within the walls and ceiling of every house in Queensland. Oof. Yeah. You hardly see them, though. Yeah. They're just, they're What's just... the deadliest thing near your house where you grew up? Um, I mean, there's a lot of brown snakes that if you get bitten, you've, you don't have long... Um, <laughs> I've never been bitten. 30, 45 minutes or uh, something? And then further up are crocodiles, which obviously are, are very, very dangerous. Are kangaroos dangerous or are they friendly? They have those, like, yeah. talons on the back. Yeah, right? I don't think you just want to go up and I mean, shake a kangaroo's hand. If they're, they're not dangerous. They're, the big red ones, you know, they're very powerful. They can kill you if they, if they um, box you with their... But that's very unlikely. Yeah. I tried to avoid asking our first Australian artists about kangaroos, kangaroos. as long as possible, but oh, yeah. I had to come to yeah, this. No, no, they're no. very sweet, but you but you got to be careful. Any any mama, like I think of any. Oh yes, there's a baby if there's in babies the pouch. around. You you be careful. Yeah. Would you like to play a song? We would love to. Love to yeah. do that. 
Um, this song uh, is uh, from a lonely motel room originally, writing it, and it's on um, this new EP coming out called Lost. It's called The Winner. Motels are turning red I'm drinking to the book In the door I never read Is my heavy heart It's beating on my head And it's treating you're the winner I just wanna love, breathe in, 
Big thanks to Jordy Lane and Claire Reynolds for talking with me. You can go to jordylane.com for his tour dates and his music. And uh, I hear some surprises are on the way. And he just released a bunch of new tour dates. And my friends in Michigan, he's going to be playing uh, all over the state. So please look out for that. It's going to be fun. If you go to the bluegrasssituation.com and search for Jordy Lane, there's a, an old school 10 questions for Jordy segment actually asked by the founder of Bluegrass Situation, Amy Rittenauer. And if it wasn't for Amy, I would not know about Jordy. So thanks, Amy. Lastly, I'd love to thank everybody for being so supportive of the show. This is kind of an experiment for me, and um, I'm doing some of it on tour with the Dust Bowl Revival. And people are coming up to me at shows and saying how much they've learned about new artists. And that's really why I do this, to get you to discover your new favorite band. All these groups need your support, and I'm so glad that you're listening. You can go to DustBowlRevival.com to learn about our tour dates. We're going all over California in March, playing the 50th anniversary of the band celebration. That's going to be a lot of fun. The show on the Road is hosted by me, Zach Lupiton, and produced by the handsome Hawaiian Chris Jacobs, with support from the Bluegrass Situation team. The show on the Road is a part of the BGS Podcast Network. This is Zach Lupiton. See you on the trail. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.